welcome to Let's Talk About Thrones with me, Sir Jenny of Tarth, him, Sir Richard of East Coastia, and him of the many names, <laughs> Sir Anthony of the Cold Realms. We are super excited to be talking about Game of Thrones because nobody does that. It's a unique thing that we've invented, mm-hmm. and uh, I would say we definitely do it better than anybody else that might be on the internet and getting paid to do it. I don't know. Here's what the show is. Just so you know, in case you've never seen a recap show before, what I want to share with you is how we do this. (laughs) We watch the show, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then we talk about it. Mm. But each of us watches with a particular eye. Because Richard, say hi, Richard. Hi, Richard. Good job. Uh, Richard is brand new. He's never seen the series before. He approaches every episode with a relatively fresh eye, although probably some large cultural Game of Thrones markers may have seeped into his consciousness, but it's okay. Uh, Anthony is looking at it from a production standpoint, so he's noticing like camera angles and 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 lighting choices and 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 you know things like that. And I, Jenny, am failing to read each episode in the books, which will get increasingly more difficult. And the only reason I don't feel bad about that, the book-to-show comparison, is that the first time I read the first book in the series of uh, Song of Ice and Fire, it really did match episode per episode almost exactly. Like, there are very few, there are a couple of extraneous characters, but there aren't that many. So I'm just like, eh. I'll do it when it gets interesting. Is there anything super important that we feel we should discuss ahead of actually discussing this episode? I think you nailed the intro there, Jenny. I think you just did amazing. I'm like a literal professional. (laughs) (laughs) And she means literally, literally. Literally, I do this for a living. (laughs) No, I think what I meant to say was thank you. That's really nice. So, okay, let's get to it. We are picking up again with episode seven in the first season of Game of Thrones, which is goes on HBO. Seventh of the series overall. It premiered on May 29th, 2011. I couldn't even tell you what I was doing then in 2011. I have like so few memories of that entire year. But anyway. <laughs> I was just returning from Korea, actually, from a year in Korea. Oh, wow. Yeah. That would be memorable. It, it certainly was. I mean, the, the times when I wasn't too drunk to re- remember things, yeah. <laughs> nice. This is the episode, and it's called You Win or You Die, which really, this is the episode in which so many things of the most Game of Thronesian import are discussed. And the way that I like to think about this episode as we go through it is this is the episode where everybody tells you who they are. Mm. That's right? not, that's oh. not, a, not a bad summary. Yeah, it's, it's basically like it starts off with maybe the greatest character introduction of all time. Okay? In terms of they tell you often in theater and in television, like, don't ever just have a conversation. You have to be... My husband, when he writes movies, calls it going to the ice capades. Don't have a conversation at home when you could have it at the ice capades. <laughs> and the, the version of the ice capades that this episode opens with is T- Tywin Lannister, father of Jamie and Cersei and Tyrion, who mm-hmm. we've all met before. Literally, how would you say it? Gutting, dressing, 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 and I guess an elk or a deer 
in the most viscerally disgusting yet practical way I've ever seen. Now, if you're an actual hunter watching the show, you'll be like, chill out, city girl. Mm. But to me, it's really while his son is standing behind him in all his golden splendor, not getting his hands dirty. So you've got the father getting his literally hands on a bunch of intestines and into a pot. And you've got the son all golden and perfect and not touching any of it. So like. And we got this great speech about who Tywin Lannister is Mm. right there. Just laid it out who he is. So, Richard, what did you think of this introduction to this character? It's funny because I know there's been a lot of discussion about him dressing this kill. And I just took it for granted. I took it as a backdrop. And... It was a fitting backdrop because it just kind of tells you, you know, he has no problem doing this. This is just how he is. It's one of the things that he does, and it's dirty work, and that's fine. He's going to get dirty doing it. I missed, I totally missed the symbolism of his son just standing there not getting dirty during the process. Mm. I thought mm. that that's, that's really cool. I like that. Did you also yeah. catch the symbolism that he was... Uh, dressing, skinning, gutting the animal of the Baratheon flag. Yeah, this is. I mean, it's he's literally taking down a stag and and cleaning it right before the king of you know the head of the Baratheon lineage is about to die. Yeah, it's like it, it really helps you when they're four books ahead to be able to like plant all this amazing symbolism. There's no making it up at this point. That's a really important thing to remember when you're talking about Game of Thrones. At this point, this is only faithful execution, judicious trimming of extra plots and extra description, but really they are on the George R.R. R. Martin superhighway to the end of season one. And, <laughs> and it's really important to note that what television does best is give you additional symbol, visual symbolism, right? That mm-hmm. you'd have to read in a book, but they can do while characters are just talking. So anyway, I love that scene. Tywin Lannister is one of my favorite characters because he is just like such a badass and even though he's a murderous badass who like turns a blind eye to what his children are doing i i think he's just majestically practical i i (laughs) I don't even think he's necessarily turning a blind eye towards it as much as just accepting it as the cost of doing business right i mean he's like pretty into the idea of a dynasty that lasts a thousand years and he's pretty into family so it would stand to reason that he would just be like yeah all right fine Mm -hmm. exactly uh So that's them. Is there anything else you want to say about this scene before we go to the scene that I'm going to immediately skip over? (laughs) I I, I did like the fact that that this scene, and this goes back to the whole production thing that I occasionally do here, um, the way they shot it, they didn't leave anything to illusion or or, uh, for the imagination. It was in your face. Like this this is him skinning this animal. And I believe, I'm not sure if this is the one, but I'm pretty sure I read that th- this was an actual animal. It wasn't like a, a doll drop or anything else. And yeah. No, they, it looked really real. Yeah, they, it wasn't something they let you figure out on your own. They threw it right in your face. And it was this clear symbolism and all of it on screen. It, it just kind of shows this no holds barred. It's kind of like the oven mitts are off. You're either going to get burned or you're going to pull it out of the oven, one or the other. You know, it's, they're going for it. it there's no 
there's no dancing around the issues anymore. Yeah. Um, all right. So there's a scene at Winterfell in which Theon Greyjoy, the character whose scenes least bear rewatching, um, attempts to sexually intimidate, I guess, mm. Osha, the character who has like the most buildup because of who she's played by only to, well, we won't get to that out of deference to Richard, but <laughs> she is like being set up as an important character and Theon is being set up as someone with questionable, I don't want to say questionable morals, but a little broader view of what's acceptable. And then Maester Lewin comes and chases them off and that's fine. But the important thing here is Natalie Tenna, as I like to refer to her, or Tonks <laughs> from the Harry Potter series, is basically alerts Maester Lewin that she was fleeing White Walkers mm-hmm. and that they are awake. I, I really, to reach ahead a little bit here, this scene brought back to my reality just why I didn't feel so sorry for Theon later. Yeah. It, it reminded me, oh, this is this is Theon. This is the the Theon that that was and shall be. So it, it was kind of a relief to to watch this scene again because I'd kind of forgotten what a douche he was. Yeah, he was a guy who did not like his position and was also sure of his position <laughs> at the same time. Right. And that's a really toxic combination. Like Theon is a bro of mm. the worst degree. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so then we get up to the wall for a fairly extended period of time in which the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch hands out assignments and John gets all kinds of pouty. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so beautifully oh, yeah. pouty. Just gorgeous. And he's just being a little biznotch. And Sam reminds him, like, hey, buddy, I think they're grooming you to be in charge of this whole place someday. So he chills out. Right. And, and again, uh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, that, it's, that Sam's his leveling voice there. Yeah. It's Samwise Gamgee. <laughs> this, this, this really brings it back because before he was the voice for Sam. And this is just kind of bringing that all full circle and showing that they really are not necessarily codependent, but co uh, supportive. Like there, this yeah. is a genuine friendship that they're building here. Yeah. And it's lovely to see it again. Yeah. Because, like, if you'll notice. Sam is one of the only people who can make Jon Snow laugh. Yeah. Genuinely laugh. And I noticed that this time around because of all the pouting. And, and then yeah. he like he pokes <laughs> holes in him and is like, yo, chill. Then they go and Jon takes his oath out by the old god tree, the weeping blood, stark, the weirwood, wildling yeah. tree, the weirwood. And uh, then Ghost brings back a severed hand, which is gross. <laughs> I, yeah, but you know it's a hand, I, and it's I, uh, important plot-wise. <laughs> well, but it doesn't present necessarily all that important. It's kind of like an event, but it's not. You don't know the the magnitude of it until much later. Well, I say yeah. much later. It's like later in the episode, but it, it kind of it, it's kind of brought in like, okay, well, this is a thing, and you're like, okay, well, what's going on there? And they cut to another scene. <laughs> yeah. Before we leave John, yeah. oh, yes. before we leave John, I just there's one thing that I noticed when they were all getting their different assignments, and I don't know if I'm just reading into this or not because it was so obvious, at least to me. But everybody's wearing pelts around 
their shoulders, basically, to mm-hmm. keep warm. No hats. And John is the, of everybody there, John has a light pelt, and everyone else has a dark pelt on. Mm. No, I, I, also, I hadn't even no hats. That. Never a hat. What is going on? Didn't everybody tell them they get a head cold if they don't wear a hat? Uh, <laughs> even, even this early in this series, you're not going to cover Kit Harrington's hair. No, that's true. <laughs> but seriously, get a hat. <laughs> I, I, I really like how they're this again. I like how they're on the wall sometimes, and it's seven hundred feet up, and it's always windy. There's never a moment when it's not windy up there, and they're all just kind of just chilling out up there. Like, oh, oh, look, there's a fire. Okay, all right. Yep. Oh yeah, let's just look right over. I'll stand right here on the very edge of it and look over and see what's going on down there. Yeah, yeah. And, and when Tyrion pissed off the wall, like that's. Just, that's ballsy, I just gotta say. 700 feet in the air, and you're just <laughs> standing on the edge. I don't know. The whole scene, this whole Winterfell setup, it's just... The way that they've structured this very small set, it's like Castle Black is very small. But yeah. it seems like there's so many different areas to go through. And I don't know if, if they're intending like the kitchens are in the wall, but it, it, like, there's so many different places that they go. And Castle Black is just tiny. Yep. Tiny little bump on a very big log. (laughs) Um, Okay, so then we go across the narrow sea to uh, where the horse people are. And remember, uh, someone's brother has just gotten a golden crown. Right. Which was exciting in the the past. Of the permanent sense. Of the permanent sense. And then there's Daenerys trying to convince her buff husband to go invade the Seven Kingdoms. And Drogo's like, mm, who cares? He doesn't care. And then so Daenerys goes shopping. And Jorah Mormont gets what I believe is a royal, is it a royal pardon? Yes. He says, come home. Yeah. And then, yeah. 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 Full royal pardon for, for selling, or yeah, for selling slaves up on Bear Island in Winterfell. Right. And then he oversees Daenerys interacting with a wine salesman and makes an intuitive leap that I never understood the first time around. Mm. Like, I thought he was involved in that plot, and then he just changed his mind. But it turns out... Yeah, that was like... The first time I watched it, I was a little confused. But now I understand that... That he was, it was like he was intuiting from his royal pardon that she was about to get poisoned. And so the he stops Daenerys from drinking it. The wine guy runs and he gets captured by the Dothraki. I And I, I dragged to... around nakedly. <laughs> yeah. We have, we have penis. Yeah. This is that. There have been, have there already been two? Oh, or three. We totally should have had a penis count by now, but we tried to stay. Oh, with I think this was the no. I think this was the first. We have not penis, seen, wasn't it? Um, no, I'm pretty sure. I can't believe I'm discussing this. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that we have also seen Theon's rather. Yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. Yep. When he was with uh, Theon, when he Theon was with Greyjoy uh, was with his Roz. Roz, yeah. Yeah, because that's a point of discussion amongst people in the show. Oh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So we've seen that. and then Obviously, kinda, it didn't impress me. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of also think I'm trying. I almost had it on the tip of my. Never mind. What? The, there was another one. The tip of your what? Huh? 
my never mind. What? Well, there's the albino guy in oh, the yeah, next yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah mm. but there's also um. Oh well, I'm. Well, it's too late. You have to do the peen count as you go, or else there's, you can't retroactively. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's no, there's no retroactive penis count. Um, yeah. This was the the scene with um with. That's got to be the title of this episode, by the way. <laughs> retroactive penis count. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> this scene with Jorah and the the wine cellar and like this is one of my favorite scenes. It was one of my favorite scenes going. My, doing my first watch through and i think just the way i don't even know who the actor is that plays the wine cellar but the way that he uses his face to describe his intention and push the story along it's it's really well done oh who jora no, no 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 the wine cellar oh the wine, no, the wine cellar. Yeah. yeah he tells He's got a really fascinating face yeah he tells a lot of the story through his face Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I like when when people can can push a story along, not just from the dialogue, but from the actual the the, the visceral look at them. It it, it just I, I appreciate that in an actor. So basically, all of this causes Drogo to be like, "We are crossing the poison water, and we're going to go get the Iron Throne, and he's going to be the stallion that mounts the world." And blarity 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 blar. So mm. that's great. It's a very exciting moment for Daenerys Targaryen, who's actually achieved what her brother failed to do. I actually, I actually felt that this scene was intimidating. So everybody's riled up. He's basically making this statement in what I thought was a real menacing way. And for whatever reason, she's fine with it, but he's, he, we basically just brought out the warrior in him, right? Yes. Well, this was, this was kind of twofold because not only is, is Jorah Mormont now like fully sealed in Daenerys' plot, like her, their, their storylines are, are effectively glued together at this point because of the way that he saved her and everything else. But also this flip from Cal Drogo, like his flip in going from, we're never going to cross the sea. And now we are, it kind of shows it doubles down on his dedication to his wife. Yeah. And it it really, it seems really sudden, but it seems totally justified. And that's another plot point that I really enjoyed. And we see that happen again in the next episode where he stands behind her while She's kind of making decisions that are pissing his people off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, and he totally stands behind her. It's in a way that's not customary for Dothraki. Yep, yep. Now, I feel like we need to rewind a little bit, because while all this has been going on, we haven't talked about what's going on in the House of Lannister. Yeah, so much. It, and also... One of the greatest scenes where somebody like like where somebody tells somebody else who they are. So again, you're having the second of several massive character and thematic revelations when uh, Cersei Lannister meets up with Eddard Stark. <laughs> mm. uh, uh, Richard, I'd like you to tell me what you think of this scene. I don't want to just jump in with all of our "Hey, we've seen it before" business. So the the king's hand meets up with the queen, and shit goes down. What did you think? Yeah, and it was it was like a watching a chess game of a conversation. Like they were kind of 
trying to push each other a little bit and and challenge each other, he confronts her, basically saying, "Look, clearly Joffrey's not Roberts," mm-hmm. and and then he also confronts her with the revelation or, or realization that his son probably caught her and Jamie together and they tried to get him killed. Mm-hmm. And she does mm-hmm. not deny it, which yeah. I mm-hmm. found really interesting. Because she also has the line of the show. Like she's telling him all of this. Oh, yes. Because she's about to say the most important thing in the whole show. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. There is no middle ground. That's like the yep. staple of the entire series of books. It's, it's the whole shebang. And this is really the point at which the show goes from this building, 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 and now... We're there. Things are going to start actually happening that are going to affect everyone. It's not just leading into something. We're actually changing the storyline now. Yeah. After this conversation. And like, to be fair, Ned Stark is playing 2D chess and Cersei Lannister is like a Time Lord. Mm. (laughs) In terms of where they are in what they're about to do, she is like so far ahead of him that she is confident enough to tell him that she doesn't give a shit that he knows her darkest secret. And the only time she looks nervous is when she's in Robert's bedchamber and she says, oh God, if if Ned Stark tells him in front of all these people, I'm in a lot of trouble. But he doesn't. Right. He doesn't. This is the beginning of the mistakes for Eddard Stark. Yes. Um, he, He's already had one. Yeah, he he played almost a perfect game until here. But here, this is where he puts his chips on the table and not realizing Cersei's already stacked the deck. She's already got yes. the, the, the pieces where she needs them. Yeah. And what's so frustrating to me as I watch this is he's doing everything he does because he's trying to do the right thing. The noble and thing. And do it nobly. Yeah. Yeah. It's so key. It's so, so key to everything that's going to happen this scene. It's amazing. This is this is one of the things where in a world full of paladins and law-abiding citizens, Ned would win every single time. Mm-hmm. But that's not the world we live in. And Cersei... And yeah, and that's what's so subversive about this show. Yeah. Man, this is this is one of the scenes that if you don't watch much else of the first season as we're going through these shows, you have to watch this scene. Mm-hmm. You really have to see how they both put their pieces up and then Cersei, without even Ned realizing it, Cersei trumps everything and says, this is it. Mm-hmm. It's great. I, I don't know in which order this happens, but uh, we could go through like the whole Ned-Robert bit, but basically Robert is dying of a a, a, a bore to the chest or to the gut. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say of his own stupidity. Well, that uh, also that. Yeah. Uh, or also maybe it's intuited foul play. Who knows? Um, but uh, basically Robert says, 
uh, I want you, Ned, to to rule the land until Joffrey comes of age mm-hmm. and signs a piece of paper. And Ned makes a very, what he feels to be a very sly move, that old 2D chess player, of instead of saying Joffrey, saying the rightful heir, mm-hmm. right? Again, then, trying to do the right thing. Right, right. Still on the side of truth here, but getting a little, you know, what he thinks is shady. And then Robert signs it and basically soon after dies. Uh, and then there's a whole lot of chewing and froing about like who's going to do what. And Renly Baratheon tells Ned he's got to do something. And every this basically could be very simple. Everybody comes to warn Ned to play a harder game. Right. And, and, and the thing is, Everyone. everybody comes to him. Everybody's right except for Ned. <laughs> yeah. They're all like, either you got to like take the castle now. Or you gotta steal Joffrey, or you gotta run like hell, or you gotta like buy the king's guard. Like all of these options are presented to him, and he's like, "No, I'm too noble." And don't forget that <laughs> this this going to Ned and telling him, giving him the advice that would work in his favor, started with Cersei. Yeah. She she gave him an out. She's yeah. like, go home. Yeah, she gave him like, hey, we can call it we can call it even, just head home or or follow into the fold of my plans. Like she started this before Robert even died. And he continued yep. to be like, No, I'm gonna do the right thing, I'm gonna do the right thing, I'm gonna do the right thing. And everyone was right except for him trying to do the right thing. Yeah. So now seems like a really good time to talk about my favorite scene of all time. In which Littlefinger. A- yeah, which a third character reveals his core being and says one of the more important lines that will not play out for a very long time. But Littlefinger is like basically trying out, like uh, watching the performance of two women who have come to work in his establishment and giving them notes. Yes, giving them notes on their performance. One and, of which is uh, Roz from earlier. Yep, Roz has come down on a wagon um, to uh, try to make it in the big city. She's getting some tips from her soon-to-be employee, employer. Employer. And for some reason, Littlefinger is in an exceptionally talkative mood and basically reveals himself to these women who are Mm. going to work for him and tells them exactly what his, his, his operating motives are. And his theory of battle is, and then says these words that, Richard, I want you to write them down on a piece of paper somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) They will be important. What we don't know is usually what gets us killed. Mm. And when I saw that, I was like, hot damn. Right. Like he, he, he called that one from the, from the other side of the court and nailed it. Like that was, it's exactly... And, and it's it's true so many times in this series. It is exactly so what you times. don't know that ends up ending your storyline. That is such a bizarre scene because it, in many ways, it reminded me of a Shakespearean monologue mm. to the backdrop of start to finish sex. That oh, by the way, he was coaching as right. like he as a multitasking thing, right? Or he was having open tryouts. For performance, that these two women were hoping to get a role and a job in a paying troupe, right? And uh, he was giving them notes, just like any good director. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, I didn't realize until you mentioned it that yeah, this is this is when you learn Littlefinger. Yes, you've had one thing he said previously. I think he's already said this to someone. He said it to Varys. Chaos is a ladder. Mm-hmm. That is also a key Littlefinger insight. But here, it's like all laid bare. Everything, the motivation, the backstory, everything, and it's just like said out loud. And this is now the third one. Fourth, really, the fourth character to just lay their cards on the table to someone. Right. Yeah. yeah. Now, so the backstory, was he talking about Catelyn? Is it, who is he talking yes. about that he was in love with? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is Catelyn? Okay. In this moment he's talking about Catelyn Stark. Littlefinger, by the way, I will say, lovely he's in love with a lot of people. I'm not gonna lie. But for now, he's talking about Catelyn Stark. Yeah, his obsessions may change a little bit as time goes on, but <laughs> yeah. So the bottom line is this all leads up to a big old scene after the king dies in the throne room, mm-hmm. where Ned shows up with a piece of paper that shows that he has the right to be the guy that takes over, and Cersei is basically like, and I quote to quote. She basically says, bitch, please, and rips up the piece of paper (laughs) and drops it in little bits to the ground. And that is that. And Ned is in a lot of trouble. This is one of those moments where she had to play her cards just right. Because if she had misstepped or she had said too much or said too little or addressed it the wrong way, it could have been tragic in that there were so many people there to witness her mistake. But she nails it on every front. She says exactly what she needs to say. And everything turns out exactly her way. Mm-hmm. So every time, here's the thing. Here's a really good tip, Richard. <laughs> Tips from Ready? the future. <laughs> Ready? Every single time you are super tempted to rule out Cersei Lannister because either, and I'm not saying this is your your point of view, Richard, not at all, but anytime anyone is ready to rule out Cersei Lannister because she's either a woman or she falls into the category of being kind of like a woman who would be denominated as a bitch, which has happened in the history of women, right? Powerful women, or even just naive, like sometimes uh, she seems naive and uh, or too trusting in telling Ned all this stuff. She is always ahead of the game. Mm. She mm. is. So she don't is, buy it. Yeah, she is always yeah. ahead of the viewer. I guarantee you that. Yeah. Like as the you know the the third person in the room, little camera that floats around that nobody can see, but you you know you see everything through that lens. She's always ahead of of where you think the story is. Yeah. In a beautifully so, yeah. tragic way. <laughs> this basically ends with Ned Stark. In trouble. Uh, with uh, with a dagger at his throat held by one each little finger. Yes, who said, I did warn you not to trust anyone. But not to trust me specifically. Yeah, not to trust me specifically. And yeah. So, oops. Yeah. Um, all right. So now that we've taken an hour to go through that episode, Only I thought we might minutes. take five <laughs> minutes to really quickly go through Another critical, but not quite as definitive episode. This next episode, season, uh, episode eight, season one, called The Pointy End, is really like the aftermath of this big moment in the throne room. Mm -hmm. And 
And I think just to say, like, straight up, my favorite scene is Sirio Forel fighting with a wooden sword. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, and winning, like, handily. Just totally winning. And, like, and all of these, like, little episodes where he's teaching Arya, like, no, now you're dead. Now you're this. Now you're that. Like, everything. Then you get this moment where you really get to see him. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. Right. And from my perspective, that was really the first time that there was any any real substance there. I mean, yeah, we just kind of took it on faith that he's training her because he's the best, but there's been no evidence of that. And so to see him basically decimate everyone coming at him with a wooden sword, that was just an amazing moment. And some of that doesn't even happen on camera. Mm -hmm. Some of it you only hear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and again, the choreography of these fight scenes, it's such a dramatic departure from the earlier crappy ones. And it's really well done. The camera angles just kind of always captured just enough of the action while still maintaining Arya in the, in the frame for a lot of it. And uh, again, with the telling the story with your face, you know, with, with the actor's face, Aria in the scene, uh, she nails it. She the way that she presents her character, you can tell what's going on. Even when you can't see what's going on, you can tell what's going on by the way she's reacting to it. It's beautiful. Yeah. So that's like my favorite thing that happens in King's Landing. Very briefly at the wall, basically, John the the in the ongoing battle between Alistair Thorne and Jon Snow, Alistair Thorne has delivered news of Ned, calls him a bastard, traitor's bastard, all this stuff. Ned, uh, John gets confined to quarters, and then, like, really creepy shit starts to happen with dead bodies and dead hands. And John basically saves the life of the Lord Commander. And Sam essentially says, like, the only way you can get a dead body to come back to life through the White Walkers. So now we have yet another person saying, like, hello. Mm-hmm. Like, you've had Osha in the last episode warning people. Now you have Sam saying, um, I read it a book, right? <laughs> and I just think that it's sort of, again, this is the thing that actually really matters. Yeah. And yet, you know, like, I, I would say that that crazy, you know, undead blue-eyed psychopaths with magical powers trumps any Game of Thrones that's going on and and any sensible person might think that but of course nobody believes in them so you're getting this slow <laughs> evolution that this might be an important thing to pay attention to and, and also this is this is the episode where you you know you're talking about all these people that are revealing their character and revealing themselves this is the the episode where ghost becomes a, a like a player in the game. You understand, yep. okay, ghosts, this dog, this, this, this dire wolf is more than just a pet. There's something about him, something very serious and, you know, about this, this pet. Ghost detects these things or de- detects the, the living dead dude, right? And then there's this amazing scene uh, is, as well. And this isn't, this is not him. This is, Another one of the wolves where the folks in Winterfell are planning to, you know, basically come down and try to attack the Lannisters. And there's arguments around who's going to be in charge. And at that point, 
then we basically have one of the other wolves kind of lunging across the table and mm. snacking on a couple fingers. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, Rob's wolf. Um, oh, shoots. I don't remember yeah, Rob's name. Yeah, I, I don't remember either. But Grey Wind. I, I mean, an, yep. another scene for me where just the connection that this family has with these wolves, I think is phenomenal. And, you know, as Mm -hmm. a dog person, that's something that I'm really noticing. Mm -hmm. Did you notice uh, in the last episode, uh, ghost barked as he came out of the wall? That's uh, one of the departures from the books because in the books he, he's ever silent. Mm -hmm. So, which doesn't work so well on television. Right. It it kind (laughs) of, it kind of lends to a bland character. I want to mention real quick at the eerie, you really start seeing again this whole character development, character revealing when Lisa basically tells Catalan, I'm not helping you. I'm protecting yeah. the Eerie, and that's it. Go do your thing. Do whatever you're going to do. We're done. Yeah, Lisa Stark, not maybe the most stable. <laughs> Just going to put it out there. Again. <laughs> again. You know, like she just, but also not totally wrong. Not totally wrong. If you yeah. lived up at the top of a giant mountain, why would you go down it if stuff is boiling down below? So right. while she is nutty as a fruitcake, she's also not wrong. And both of those things can exist simultaneously. So also up there in that area, Tyrion and his new buddy, paid friend, Bronn, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> kind of run into some trouble with the hill tribes. Uh, and then Tyrion... Oh, man. Uh, Tyrion draw, uh, talks his way out of it, and uh, they all head off together uh, towards where Tywin is setting up camp. And I thought this was great because Tyrion shows up. He's like, yeah, uh, Dad, we need to pay these people because they didn't kill me. And Tywin is like, well, let them earn their keep and go fight. Like... Th- you have the son saying, yeah, we'll pay you because, you know, whatever, whatever. You, you saved me. You got me here. And then the father's like, um, no, they're going to go ahead and put more into this deal. And yeah. they do because they, they want to fight and they want to they, they want more stuff. So it kind of just really works out. Again, the wisdom of Tywin Lannister to yeah. not just accept the deal, but press it further than it should have gone. Yep. And also, I have to say, you know, the, the cunning of Tyrion, who can just basically talk his way out of anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, it helps when you're, you're four points higher on your intelligence than anybody else in the game. It <laughs> really does help. <laughs> so then we've got some more sort of Starkish stuff going on, which I will say, I have to say, in all truth, the Rob Stark stuff is the least rewatchable for me. Oh, yeah. I'm just like, buddy, okay. But it is one of his really good scenes, so I will give it that, which is that... And also, like, there's this thing, Richard, which you'll get to eventually. There's always a lot of bannermen of the North sitting around a table bitching. Mm. (laughs) For all that these guys are supposed to be like, these all these ruthless fighters and everything. Man, they spend a lot of time in a hall or a tent just complaining. Like, it's almost hilarious at this point to watch this earlier scene because, boy, do these guys like to go home. Anyway. (laughs) 
There's so, always that threat of I'll just I'll just go home. And I'll it's just like, go home. Yeah, I'll, I'll just take my men and go home. Go, well, yeah. But you're not going to. It's That's not how this works because it's the North. And except for one house, which will be revealed later, you are very loyal to the Stark family. And it's, yeah, it it gets them, it, it kind of gets them nervous. But then even reading the books, I never felt that Rob was an overly important character. He always seemed to play second fiddle to John. And so watching the, the scenes with him in it, it, it carried that forward into it. And uh, I'm not going to say whether or not that pays out. I could be very wrong on that. But at least this point in the story, I, I don't care about Rob. Yeah. Even watching it the second time, just don't care. How about you, Richard? What do you think of Rob now that we've totally ruined it for you? No, that's that's fine. I mean, what I found interesting here is that he's kind of stepping up. You know, he he's he is kind of not in his element, right? I, I don't feel like he's equipped for the role that he's taking on necessarily, but it's kind of, it feels as if this is his moment and he's stepping up and he's doing it with confidence, despite the fact that he's probably not the best person to be doing this, as, in fact, his mother suggests. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my God, so much happened in this episode. It's insane. I don't think Catalin is ever wrong either. I don't think she's ever once <laughs> wrong. <laughs> Besides for starting this whole war. Well, I mean, there's that. Uh, <laughs> so basically everybody rallies to Rob. Catelyn finally at least catches up with one of her children, which is really nice. She sees Rob. Mm-hmm. Um, Bran and Rickon are left behind, which I'm sure will turn out fine. Uh, Bran meets Osha. And then we get... Hodor, if we're on our retroactive peen count, we get big swinging Hodor <laughs> walking around without his clothes. Uh, and that's a funny moment. And oh, wow, this character is super funny. And basically, like the battle is on, mm. right? They're separated. These two armies are separated by this uh, Walder Frey's river, uh, the, the twins, this building called the twins mm-hmm. or the rivers or whatever they are. Essentially, a Lannister scout is captured, and it remains to be seen what happens next. Right. Well, he he decides to let him go. Yeah. He decides to let him go with these, you know, these. They ask him about the numbers that he saw. They decide to let him go, and of course, that that all plays into the strategy. But it, I don't know. Again, I'm just completely unenchanted by the whole Rob Stark story. Yeah, it doesn't replay well. <laughs> and then I do want to say that. Arya escaping escaping the soldiers and you know this big purge of, of Stark is going on in King's Landing and Arya managed to, manages to you know evade everything gets her first kill you know she she demonstrates the ability yep. I have to do what I have to do and I'm going to do it there's no hesitation there's maybe a little bit of regret afterwards but there's no hesitation in getting things done and that yeah she that, sticks him with the pointy end yeah she she right. really started, <laughs> right. it, it's a big part of the building of her story. Yeah, exactly. And what I found amazing there is that uh, that whole scene where she stabs the boy happens in uh, something like 10 seconds. And in that 10 seconds, you see her swiftness to react without any hesitation. And you still capture a moment of her realization, I just intentionally killed someone. Mm -hmm. And then now I'm moving on. Right, right. No, there's an incredible drive, and of course, the way that uh, 
the way that Maisie Williams plays Arya is she really just lives the character and, and does exactly, I don't know how many takes they had for that, but she really, the facial expressions again, just she nails it and you move on and the story's told and there's, it's time for more. So I guess we have to briefly talk about what's going on in Caldrogo land, which this is yet again. This episode is kind of filled with a bunch of things that don't feel real rewatchy friendly, <laughs> but they were certainly powerful the first time. And I don't mean to shit all over things if Richard likes them, but um, the the bottom line is, is like Caldrogo, uh, they're like basically financing the war to come by like, you know, doing what Dothraki do Marauding. and yeah. marauding and 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 it just goes to this like i don't know i don't even want to bother recapping it basically uh daenerys wants something drogo asked uh uh says he'll do it uh and then she keeps the women and one of them is a witch i feel like that's all you need to know about this one of them is a witch <laughs> and i just don't know why you would ever trust her with all that eye makeup <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that is important here, and I mentioned this a little while earlier, is this is another moment where despite what his advisors are saying, despite what the others around him are saying, he is standing by Daenerys. Mm. Mm-hmm. So much so he's willing to literally fight to the death. Right. Which is lovely. Mm. And... <laughs> um, that's all I want, someone to fight to the death for me. <laughs> or, or, or not. Uh, <laughs> um, this is, it, it's a scene that doesn't seem like it's going to have, like it kind of seems over and done, and it's just another progressive point of their relationship between you know Daenerys and, and Drogo. Um, but it is a huge point in, for, for Daenerys to learn from in the next couple episodes. Yes. It's um, very It lessening. just sets up, more to come. In yeah. fact, most of the plot line to come, save for the last thing, I, I am not looking forward to rewatching because I'm just like, okay. Like some things don't rewatch well and some things are magical to rewatch. Mm. And I found that very strikingly in this episode. Like, I'll admit there might have been a little fast forwarding in my rewatch uh, and you can tell which scenes I watched and you can tell which scenes I fast forwarded through. Mm. Uh, so, you know, there's more going on in King's Landing. Basically, you've got this amazing scene that we've already talked about with Arya and Sirio Forel. You've got Arya sticking someone with the little stable boy with the pointy end. Mm-hmm. And then Varys visits Eddard Stark in the dungeons. <laughs> And they have this, like, nice moment. And you start to, if you haven't already, get the sense that Varys might actually be an honorable person. Right. Richard, I'd love to hear what you thought about this scene with Varys specifically. So I've watched this twice now because Mm. I wanted to make sure that I remembered the events of this last episode before we recorded and I have kind of two different perspectives on this. The first time that I watched it, I felt that, that yeah, okay, Varys is actually kind of an okay guy. And then what I caught when I watched it most recently is who first and foremost is going to protect himself. Mm. And that's not just this scene, but others in which he's standing by the new king and speaking for for the new throne and everything, it just it it was. 
hard for me to reconcile any true sincerity in that meeting with Stark. Hmm. He's mm. just playing the game. I felt like he was. I, I really got... Th- this scene kind of cemented to me because earlier, um, Stark, Eddard Stark had asked Varys, you know, who do you work for? Who, who's, you know, who's pulling your strings? You know, why are you doing this? And he said, he does it for the realm. Right. This scene was one of those where he kind of lends, lends the olive branch a little bit to, to Eddard Stark in the dungeon, even though he knows that Eddard is like, he, he, how do I say this? Not the smart play. It's not the smart play to go visit Ned Stark right, in the dungeon. Right, it's, it's counterintuitive right. to do it, but he does it because he there's a need to do it. And it, he's still, everything he does, he's trying to push the realm towards a better realm. And that really comes to fruition as the story goes along. But it's these first beginning interactions with people that he shouldn't be having, that he has anyway, that really cement that desire to push the realm to a better realm. Okay, that makes sense. And uh, don't forget Cersei uh, dismissing Barristan Selmy, saying that uh, you failed to save the king. I love that. This is a rewatchable scene. Yeah. This is a great scene. It's a great scene, and, and, and Barristan Selmy is like a favorite character of mine, and watching him just be like, piss on you is one of the greatest moments in this episode. <laughs> it's perfect timing because she just went out and, and, and lauded his, his experience and his time and everything else and blah, blah, blah. And then she dismisses him and it's kind of a surprise. And he's like, okay, well now I can actually tell you how I feel. He dumps out all that out there and is able to survive because of the situation that, you know, being in the throne room with all the Lords and everything else. Like there's nothing that she could have done at that moment that would have been in discreet the way that she likes things to be. Yeah. Um, it's worth noting here that Sansa has already been asked to write a little letter to Rob mm. asking him to bend the knee to Joffrey. Note this for later. <laughs> uh, which, of course, what her. else is she going to do? They're like manipulating this poor girl. And then in the end, right, in the end of this episode, Sansa goes before her future husband, theoretically, to beg for her father's life. And Joffrey says, if Ned will bend the knee, there's a lot of bending of knee talk that I didn't remember was in this episode. Mm. And then, <laughs> so before it, you know, he'll forgive him and send him to the, you know, whatever. Right. Sansa says, yes, he'll, he'll, Ned will do it. You've, you've got a lot going on, but this is definitely a moving the chess pieces episode. This right. one really bothers me because I, I, maybe I just have missed that. Perhaps Sansa just doesn't have any depth or common sense. But the fact that she would just buy Cersei's explanation that, oh, no, he's a traitor. What he did is bad. And you shouldn't talk to him. And he's the enemy now. And just assume that this woman is telling the truth and not give her father the benefit of the doubt just really bugs me. Mm. This is one of those moments where <laughs> nobody says anything. Well, <laughs> it's, it's because we don't we don't want to give anything away to you. But yeah, this is one of those yep, moments where you realize that Sansa still doesn't understand it's a game. Yeah, she's still she's like her father. She was raised by her father. Right, exactly. She does. She doesn't understand that she is a pawn in someone else's game, and she hasn't taken the 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 taken a hold of her own life to make herself a player in the game as opposed to just a pawn. 
Yeah, and that's important. So we basically end with Ed, Ned in jail. I always call him Ed because I keep seeing Eddard. Yeah. Uh, but it ends with Ned in jail. It ends with Sansa making a deal. It ends with Arya having killed someone. And there's a totally different sister who's basically like has never trusted anybody and now is on the path to her destiny, two very different destinies. So mm. these sisters, who have already not had much in common, are now starting to diverge even further. Right, right. And this is, again, when you notice the farewells, when you notice the last scenes that people are mm. in together until they're mm-hmm. reunited somewhere down the road or or just not reunited ever again, it or really... Not. Yeah, it it really, that's one of the things that, that strikes me every time I notice it going through this time, having mm-hmm. watched as much as I have, it's it, it saddens me from Arya and her sister Sansa and how long it's going to be before they are reunited in any way, shape or form, before either one of them are really reunited to their own family at all. It's, it's really kind of ridiculous how much forward play there is in this show, how much foresight there is. Yep. And then... Also, let's give a poor one out for Septa Mordain, who, uh, even though she was of a religious order, was still smart enough to realize that when armed men are coming, you should tell your princess to run. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Septa Mordain. You will be missed. Just one, just another one of the Starks that were purged in uh, King's Landing. Yeah, episode. a lot of Starks went down. So we've had these two episodes. One of them is one of the more profound episodes of the entire series. Another one is like a chess pieces episode that's moving towards greater moments. But there's still some lovely moments in here. And mm-hmm. overall, Richard, final thoughts? Yeah, of these two, I think Seven was absolutely my favorite I caught a lot more meaning meaning in that one. This, like some of the other episodes we've discussed, felt very much like an episode pair. Seven and eight fit nicely together. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if that's just kind of a the, the way these stories are written. And I'm looking forward to nine and ten. I can't believe that we're already going to be talking about the end of the first season already. Mm. I know, it sneaks up on you. <laughs> it gets a little boring from here on out. <laughs> uh, well, so, uh, I, Richard, I, I had told you before that, you know, we were uh, on the roller coaster on the way up, and it was all building, 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 and everything's just going to, like, it's going to start coming at you really fast and furious. Seven was the episode where it kind of stops, and then, oh, it keeps going, and eight was the actual roll over the top, and all the pieces are now in place. In the next two episodes, it's just absolute craziness from every angle it's gonna be it's it's nuts um it's pretty nuts yeah and uh i'm really looking forward to our our next recording and getting Mm -hmm. to the next one it's only fitting that the next uh recording that we do is in richard's rich is gonna have the lead on it because Oh my gosh! It's gonna—it's basically gonna be me and Jenny reacting to all of your reactions to the show. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> yep, Richard, you have one more episode before I need you to set up a live recording of yourself watching the the show. <laughs> I think you should test it in episode nine. Yeah, test it out. It's yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, we'll say no more. Guys, it's All been right. a real pleasure. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Anthony, we kind of got your final thoughts right, but do you have any final, final, final thoughts? Um, uh, let's talk about... I was going to spin another show. Let's talk about Star Wars. Um, That's a good show. You should it, watch it. it. it or, or listen. <laughs> uh, well, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Listen. I get to watch it because I'm on the Skype. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Thrones 
at gmail.com. Oh, we have an email. That's lovely. Let's talk about um, thrones at gmail.com. Let's talk about thrones at gmail.com. Write us. Let us know what you think. Let us know how original you think we are for recapping Game of Thrones. Because really, it's an original act. Yeah. Or, uh, or how wrong we are on our many, many facts that we are pulling yeah. clearly from our memory. Yeah, absolutely. Or how lame Richard is for just not getting <laughs> half of this stuff. <laughs> I think all of these are legitimate emails to send. Um, Richard, really quickly, do you want to tell us where people can find you? Absolutely. I do some other podcasts. Uh, One is called Home On, and I talk about DIY, smart home, and connected home tech. You can find that at thedigitalmediazone.com. Sarah Anthony? Uh, you can find me at Ethan Kane on Twitter, and that links to everything else that I'm doing. Uh, if you are into really fun stuff on the internet don't look for me because uh, all my stuff is very serious and there's no no humor involved in any way shape or form yeah, v- v- yeah. V- this show. Right. so many aliases <laughs> i'm so consistently confused about who you really are uh, that's a, but it's a that's, that's a long game that's the long game that's, a, that's an appropriate thing for a game of thrones show uh i am jenny josephson uh you can find me several places but at jenny j 23 on twitter is as good as any place uh i do let's talk about star wars which is the granddaddy of all these let's talk about shows i do let's talk about cheers uh, in which we take on an 80s sitcom with strikingly appropriate thematic elements to today i'll tell you <laughs> so you can see that at let's talk about cheers.com or in the tell it anyway feed and uh yeah just keep an eye out because i do stuff a lot all right okay so we'll see you we'll, we'll, you can listen to us next time as we talk about thrones yay talk about thrones <laughs> See y'all. i'm gonna sing that song let's talk about thrones baby, baby. let's talk about <laughs> you and me uh let's talk about all the retroactive oh never mind oh, okay no, it lost it <laughs> we were fading out on that right that's the fading oh, that's out the fade. all, 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 all the right, retroactive talk- penis we may see what that's uh, right that's right you got it you intuited what i was gonna say and did not want to say on the internet good job everybody all right talk to you next week